your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by Alex Johnson, James Boyman, and Ryan Williams. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. James here, joined by Alex and Ryan. And if the six weeks had you thinking that perhaps Everton would turn over a new leaf, you were as deluded as me. And they did not, in fact, turn over a new leaf as they fell 2-1 to Wolves at Goodison Park in the first game following the World Cup. A devastating loss with the 94th minute. Goal conceded on the break. We'll get into all of the details, all of the moments. There were plenty of fouls and interesting sequences of play to go over. Before we get into all of them, just a reminder that if you enjoy the show, please leave us a rating and review on your podcast platform of choice. You can follow us on social media. Links in the description. Join our Discord, invite.gg slash ATP. This is Everton's 21st loss in the Premier League in this year, in 2022, which is their joint most defeats in a single year in the Premier League, tied with 1997 and 2005. So on that joyous note, gentlemen, we'll go to instant match reactions from Twitter. We'll go to uh, Ryan. You can go first. Yeah, I went through them all. Um, not one of them necessarily jumped out at me, except for this one from Cliff at Cliffy Smalls. <clears throat> Cliff's line was, I watched an Octonauts movie with the kids. Seems I made the right choice. And I only just wanted to mention that because um, I, I think the Octonauts are criminally underrated kids cartoon. Um, I think it's incredibly clever. I love kind of the Jacques Cousteau type thing going on there. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's it. The Ryan wishes he did too. <laughs> I, uh, I had Brian James Henry and he said, worst possible return. Can't get a point from the worst team in, in the table at home question mark, which is pretty accurate. Very disappointing. Um, you know, as you mentioned, we'll get into kind of the details and how it unfolded and why it was even more disappointing than you might think. Uh, but otherwise pretty accurate on my end. Yeah, definitely relate to to Brian's question mark there. The question mark says a lot there. I personally went with Mr. Shermanator A, Jaden Sherman, who said, that's the Everton I know and haven't missed. So wasteful in possession. The dreaded long ball undid us in the end. Still in dire need of goals and creativity. Now, before we get into the lineups, I just have to give a quick kudos to both myself and the professor from our Discord for correctly predicting the scoreline. It is the I hope you're happy. It's the consolation that I never want, but I seem to pick up semi frequently because off the off the back of this break, I just did not have a good feeling going into it, and I predicted the the loss. And you know that may make me a bad fan, but I'm going to take my score prediction victory, and uh, it's the only victory I'll get today. So without further ado, Ryan, let's get into lineups. We'll start with Wolves, the opposition, as we typically do. So, so as we know, they're at the bottom of the table. Um, I normally go in through history and do a ton of research, but just looking at this lineup, they're not good. Uh, I, I just, I'm looking, I just cannot believe that this team has spent kind of as much as they have, and this is what they have on the field. Now, that being said, they do have a pretty decent bench here, but I mean, Diego Costa was starting up top for them. Like, I, I think I said this off air, but I don't, I, mean, I wouldn't sign him if I was an MLS team. Yeah, I think he's he's legitimately terrible. Like he's the he is the worst today. There's no way anyone had a worse starting center forward than him in the Premier League, and maybe hasn't all season. I think he's that bad. Um, I like Potence. He he's a little creative player. Um, Huang played you know okay in the World Cup, but I, I, he's never been good for Wolves. And you have an incre an increasingly slow and glacial midfield with Nevis and Batinho are good players, but just slow as molasses. And and I just don't. Semedo has been a disaster for them at right back. I like the two young center halves. They're okay. But look, Saw's their guy. He's a fantastic keeper, and that's the guy who's going to be tough to beat no matter what. If anyone keeps them up, it's going to be him and then the grotesque spending of, of Mendes. I mean, you look at the guys they brought in, like Nunez didn't start today. I mean, they paid 45 million euros for him. He, I mean, he is, I know everyone is all a buzz about him. That is a ludicrous fee for that guy. He's completely overrated. Um, Guedes, I kind of like, but again, this is like a $35 million Euro guy who's on the bench. Treor is on the bench. Uh, Jimenez on the bench. So that's the concern. The concern is that we let him hang in here for a while at home. 
We're not clinical, which of course is what happened. Um, and they come on with those guys fresh off the bench and now they've got a counter thread. And I mean, that's very much how it played out. But I mean, look, let's make no mistake. This lineup is atrocious. They, they've added Cunha. They're going to add some other players, I'm sure. I know they're going to spend a lot of money. Neto's going to come back and be healthy. So they're going to have a ton of weapons. Um, I think they need a midfielder, but they're going to spend money and it's going to be tough. I think they're going to have enough to get out of relegation. But this lineup right here, I mean, if you can't beat this, I mean, my God. Especially at home, right? And and on the opposite yeah. side of the pitch, right? The, the exciting thing was Yerry Mina comes in for the start today, which was good. We know Connor Cody couldn't play against his parent club Wolves, so he was not even on the bench. McNeil started ahead of Gray on the left, which was uh, an interesting choice, no doubt. DCL missed out completely. We know, you know, on the space we talked about whether he could be included even on the bench, but he did not make the squad. And as such, uh, Neil Mope starts uh, at up top for Everton. Gordon, Awobi, and Pickford, all guys um, that are heavily rumored to be uh, signing some contract extensions soon, uh, also started for Everton. Do you want to talk about that for a second? I mean, I know we talked about a little bit on the, on the, um, the space and the pod previously, or maybe, maybe we'll just wait till see, till we get some idea of contract terms because, um, yeah, yeah I feel I, like I'm, James and I had a really good discussion about that on the space. So that is, yeah, a, that did. is a very shameless plug for that piece. No, people should listen to the space. I thought it was good. There's some different opinions in that one too. Whereas sometimes we agree on a lot of stuff. Um, let's talk about the tactical setup instead. It was definitely a change. And, and I had heard from some people that, we looked better against Villa and they thought this new kind of approach would get the most out of Anthony Gordon. Someone actually said that to me, um, which I, well, no, I could see how it kind of would, but it's a, so the one thing we said when Frank was first hired, that the best thing I thought he did tactically was build breakouts and do a good job of building from the back and break through pressure. And, and I actually thought that we had a well-defined structure. We had guys in the right spot in our own end, and I thought we dealt well, for the most part, with their pressure. That was good. I think our issues were in the final third, which they have been often. Um, but I don't think in this case it was Frank's issue. So you had Onana dropping deeper in possession almost as a six, uh, pretty much as a six, a six in possession. Um, Awobi again, on the right side of midfield. Ghana on the left. I, I, I get the idea of freeing up Ghana to win some balls, and you saw a little bit of that. Um, I think maybe Wobi being back there freed up Gordon to go win a bunch of balls because he had a bunch of tackles. I think he had like six of the team and he, you know, other than, I mean, he was good in counter pressing. Um, and you had McNeil left and Gordon, right? So those are guys playing as more traditional wingers. And and we've already talked about the third, the issue there with that shape is McNeil gets pushed out left because he's so one footed Gordon can't always get around on the right side. But if he does, who's he playing to? Like Ghana Gay running into the 18 to score? Really, the moped, that's about it. Awobi's too deep. Um, so I think the issue there is a spacing one when we attack in the final third or go through transition where you've got Mope very isolated, um, Ghana and Awobi, Awobi deeper, and Ghana's natural tendency to sit deeper. So you got a bit of a hole there in the middle that I personally would have flipped him and because I think there's space in there for both those guys to run into. I saw Gordon do it once when he got flipped over to the left. And I thought, yes, that's what we need. Um, but I like the structure from the back. I mean, there at least it was defined. I mean, some other guys looked kind of clueless in it. Patterson in particular, there was space for him to run onto. He was hesitant. But most for the most part, the guys looked like they had a purpose. And that, I thought, was refreshing. And I thought, for the most part, we dealt with their pressure. That's not where we lost the game, ultimately, I don't think, in my opinion. No, I would agree with that. I mean, I think I agree, Ryan. You know, you see little green shoots of maybe something like that. Frank is actually, Oh, this six week break we had, maybe they actually did work on some stuff. Maybe they did build, you know, a cohesive structure and possession. And I didn't feel super threatened by their pressure, but I thought we also did a good job of pressing them. At least, you know, Ghana had a couple of good interceptions and we won the ball back higher up the pitch and which is not something we've done as we mentioned, you know, in the squad assessment. So that led to some decent opportunities, but we of course ultimately did lose the game um, in crushing fashion which we'll talk about you know shortly but but you got to give frank credit for those things james i mean that that i think is fair right i mean i know a lot of people look at when someone gets the ball what we do when we're on the ball i i get that but there were sequences in the first half that i saw on the breakouts where you saw a couple quick passes and you saw a couple movements that had clearly been somewhat rehearsed um, you know, and obviously there's different options. I mean, the one in particular, and we'll get into the timeline, one where a Wobie beat his guy deep 
and broke through. They switched it over the other side. And Lopentegui has an organized defensive structure typically. Those his teams are not going to be easy to break down. So I think that's worth noting. Um I thought it was interesting to look at Wolves' numbers. 45% of the time they attacked down the right side, 38% down the left side. I just felt like they, they stayed outside in the wide spaces more so than anything, but they didn't have a lot of sustained offense. So I don't know what that really tells us. We attacked predictably based on our setup, 39% wide, 40% wide on the right, only 21 down the middle. I think that's exactly what you get when you line up the way we did. You force all the attacks down on the wide spaces, and there's some issues with numbers in the box. And I think it's one reason why you have a lot of people that are crying for more of a 4-2-3-1 type setup, where you have more of a 10 or someone that could sneak into that space. Um, and maybe it's not as necessary when Dominic Calvert-Lewin's in there, but I got to admit, I'd like to see some more people occupy that space. That's just my observation, and I think those numbers line up with what our tactical review was. That, at least that's my thought. I don't know if you guys agree with that or not. Yeah, I would. I guess I would just add that. Look, we're talking about two teams that are kind of in the midst of a relegation scrap. You talk yeah, about yeah, Wolves yeah. not having a ton of and a long break. attack, and like we and kind a of, long break too. I mean, let, right. let's let's be honest, a hundred percent. So when you talk about look, and we'll get into the numbers, we had the bulk of the possession for the for most of the game, kind of maybe played into Wolves' hands a little bit. They're comfortable to sit back in their defensive shape. We did create some chances and whatnot, but like Wolves aren't the, aren't going to come and try to play us, you know, off the park and dominate possession or anything like that. That's not really their their style. Um, but they they did ha- maintain their defensive shape pretty well for the most part, besides the few moments we were able to uh, sneak through. Yeah, and, and let's let's before we get into the timeline too, let's break real quick for a couple words from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. So the match started pretty chippy as usual, but the seventh minute it was quick action for Everton, and this was a funny moment because the commentators usually like to pile it on to us in general and. And obviously over the last couple of years, that's been exacerbated. And we go up to take the corner, McNeil specifically, and the commentators are talking about there are two teams in the league that have not scored on a corner yet this season, those two teams being Everton and Wolves. And what do you know? Uh, McNeil walks up, takes the corner to Yeri Mina, who has a nice stiff arm. And it was, it was quite a weak fall uh, on Bueno to create space for a header to the bottom left corner. Um, it was a really nice finish. It was obviously great to see Yeri Mina scoring Everton's first goal off a set piece. Um, it felt like it all was right in the world. You know, Yeri Mina gets a start right after Christmas. He gets the header on the corner. And I'm just thinking to myself, that is what he offers. And uh, obviously he sets up with a couple of his teammates for a nice fun dance on the sidelines. Although I don't know that the, the camera really covered enough of that as I'd prefer to see. I mean, they danced. <laughs> oh, come on, Ryan. It was a, it was a good dance. No, it, it was, was fun. I'm okay with dancing because it normally means we've done something well. It's a great delivery by McNeil. Uh, he was taking a lot of grief from people, but it didn't look like the conditions were perfect. Um, he He's good from that side on corners. He always has been. And Mina just overwhelms Bueno on this play. Um, that's what he brings. And I mean, I'm sorry. We're just, we're a different side defensively and on set pieces when Mina plays. Yeah, he's a, ma- he's a massive problem for the opposition. Weird that they actually matched up Wayno on him because there's that huge size disparity. But I guess you know, if you have some of the, the center halves like zonal marking. Um, yeah, try and get a runner in front of him so he doesn't get any momentum. But I mean, that, that I mean, it's he's not right on the keeper there. I mean, it, it's a pretty darn good play. Yeah, and he doesn't need the momentum. I mean, he basically, like Alex said, kind of creates the space of the stiff arm and then just waits for the ball to come to him and, and flicks it really nicely into the far corner. He places it very, very well. And as you both said, this is what we've missed. We haven't scored off of a set piece. And yet this season, Yuri Mina within seven minutes has corrected that. And that's why we've wanted to see him play for so long and so badly. And then, of course, only 15 minutes later, Wolves march down the field. They have a corner. And uh, it, it was written in the stars, it felt like at this point. They go short on the corner. The ball is crossed to the top of the box uh, to Moutinho, who settles it. And then he, ta- he he takes like a really nice outside the boot um, diagonal ball across goal, you know, essentially right over Patterson's head as he's, you know, waving his head for the offside that was clearly never going to come because he was sleeping and trying to cover the same guy as Onana was. Um, and of course, Podence with the finish. Um, it was an, it was a really nice pass. I think all in all, Patterson just completely falls asleep. I, you know, I would say that's that's even on him, right? He could have attempted to contest the ball at least a little bit. Um, and you know, not much. I don't, I, th- I don't think 
Pickford can do. I mean, Potence, the finish was also pretty good. You got to give it to him. I mean, yes, it was good. I mean, it would have been a really good save. Not an impossible save, but it would have been very good. I mean, it's not like the ball went into the side of the net. It went right into the middle of it. Um, well, I'm just saying, the only reason why I bring that up, I'm not bagging on Pickford, but I mean, you see Saw, people kept making comments where everyone's hitting it right at him. Well, no, he's in a really good position sometimes too. So it's not just always that. Uh, what is Patterson doing? I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, the, first of all, Potence is about five foot three. So in order for the ball to go up in the air and then land onto his foot, just from a physical geometrical shaping angle, angular type study. We're getting geometrical I mean, here. I mean, Patterson's what, like six one. I mean, what are you doing there? He just stares up at the ball, and lets it go behind him. He never checks his shoulder. By the way, I have a problem too with our initial setup. He's on the post. So someone please explain to me this. He's taking a, we're taking a, They're taking a corner. We have everyone lined up on the six. He's on the near post. Why? And then the ball goes in. He drops. Tark drops. I mean, they wouldn't have played him off anyway, but we played a couple other guys. I don't, I just don't, I don't get that at all. And I, I just, but Patterson makes such a bad play here on so many levels. But if you go back and listen to the pod and look at what we did when we reviewed the player, when we signed him a couple of January's ago, that's what we talked about how useless he is in the air and how, what, what an area of struggle it is for him. And sometimes he just doesn't even go up for the ball, but I mean, he's got to do better here. I mean, get some awareness. Come on, man. Has to do better. And it's such a weird one because it's really not often that you see, I mean, they go short, but Potence is the guy who like makes the initial short pass and then just slyly kind of sneaks in. And he can obviously see our back line the entire way. The announcer tried to blame it on Tark, like Tarkowski for playing him on. He was played on by like our whole back line. There were like six guys that played him on. He just no one marks the guy. It's like it's like in basketball, you always want to mark the guy who's inbounding because he'll come back in. You yep. don't really see that very often in soccer, but this was a little strange and just I think lack of awareness and communication. You always if you see him sneaking in like he was, you want to call that out and you need to have someone marking him. It is a good finish, but and, and the ball from Moutinho as well to take it down and then hit it with the outside of his foot. It's great. But we still should have done much better there. Yeah, I mean, it was two very skilled players for sure. But yeah, I agree. You got to do it. You got to do better here. Now, now I will say this. The opportunity then five minutes later is to me the best example we saw all match of breaking through their pressure and creating a chance. I mean, this I thought was us at our best and at our most typical. I mean, it was one where in essence, I thought we were a little bit too static on the breakouts, especially on the right side where Patterson, like I said, just seemed like he'd never practiced this before. There's just no fluidity. Whereas a guy like Awobi will take some chances and, and be confident. And he did. Awobi went by his guy, created space. They eventually switched the ball, came all the way out to Mikalinko eventually. This cross he put on, there were two runners on the far post in the space and there was room for him. And I, I remember watching it because we had the camera angle. I'm thinking, send the ball cross the ball just get it across the other side you got two guys acres of space something good will happen it goes up gordon's coming on right there and and all he has to do is somehow get the ball over to the moped the moped is standing square to him it's a tap in basically for him because saw has to come somewhat react to gordon i think gordon tries to bring it down i don't think he tries to tap it over to mope and it just it's a classic Anthony Gordon where he shows some skill, but he hasn't looked up. His awareness is not there. He doesn't see the player or else it's a tap over and a tap in and a goal. It would have been not the easiest play in the world to do, but Gordon's gift debatably other than his pace is his first touch. It's very clean typically. And this is one where he just misses it. I mean, I don't know how he misses it because the ball's coming in. You're looking back at the ball. You would think in your peripheral vision, you can see your teammate there. And this is a classic Neil Moped type play where he finds the space. You know what I mean? He reacts to the ball very well, knows he can't get it, sees Gordon's going to get it, and he kind of stays over in the left. That, that's exactly what you want an off-the-ball center forward to do. And um, it's just the build-out was wonderful. This is one that just – I think this is a much bigger miss, frankly, than the one that he missed before that we'll get into here in a second. Um, I don't know how you guys feel about this because we had two now, two really big chances right in the way here. And I, I think it was – this feeling from these three chances colored a lot of the after effects in the match. I don't know how you guys feel if you want to get into the next one, which is just a terrible error by Wolves. Yeah, I mean, and that that felt like a big slap in the face too, right? Because you look at essentially a similar scenario on the opposite of the pitch, as we just discussed, that ended in a goal, and you realize that it really just takes that little bit extra quality that that decides, you know, whether that you can score or make the right decision or finish 
or not. But again, two minutes later, right, Mope ends up uh, getting in behind on an error in which Hodge has, you know, a pretty poor back pass. Um, Mope with a really good reaction to pounce on it, but he takes an abysmal first touch. I mean, I, I don't know if I'm exagger- exaggerating. No, I like the first like- touch. You guys thought it was a bad first touch? I thought it was entirely intentional. <laughs> I thought it was okay. I thought his issue was he didn't run in between him and the in the player very well the touch was like five yards or larger i mean oh he, that was intentional though but oh, that's 100%. fine though because he's on the break right he's trying to run fast he knows he can't take more than that touch because he won't beat the player i'm cool with the long touch my issue is first of all hodge is just a kid too but my issue is if you watch it he taps it over a little bit to the right he what he needed to do is take one step in front of hodge and have him mow him over because he's not going to beat him to the ball hodge nudges him here i'll tell yeah. you what if Mope goes down a little bit better and maybe dives, maybe he gets a foul call here. Um, that's what he probably should have done, knowing he couldn't beat him in the ball. I'm okay with the longer touch, though, to get the sprint. But Saw comes running out here. I, I, I mean, I saw the first touch, and that was my my only thing was, and, and maybe Alex felt the same, was like, okay, he overhit it. Maybe Saw's going to be able to come out and clear it. But he does get just enough on it that he can actually then close down and win the ball. But he can't. he, he doesn't really win the foot race. He doesn't position himself well, and honestly, probably a good no call by by Pawson there to let that one slide. But he probably could have won it had he handled it better. He still um, got to the ball, didn't he? I mean, I feel like he whacked it and hit off a saw. Maybe I'm wrong, but I didn't. Yeah, I didn't see the exact angle. I don't know, Alex. Did you? Uh... No, I'm pretty sure it, it literally was just a ginormous touch. You know, obviously he did get he did get kind of a a nudge and and saw ends up getting there. But overall, I mean, you know, the point is right. The point is we're reacting. That's two minutes you know, three minutes back to back in which we have, you know, pretty clear cut opportunities to create something. That's the overarching point there. That's within 30 minutes. You know, we're at one, one against essentially also, you know, relegation candidates uh, at home. And, and that's what you get right after Potence's finish and Moutinho's beautiful pass outside the boot. And then you've got this massive chance in the 33rd where Ghana does what he's in the lineup to do in this particular position where he comes up, makes a lovely interception. I think it was Collins on the edge of our attacking third. And then his pass to Gordon is wonderful. This is kind of what Ghana does best. He normally just does it from deeper. He's very good at getting the ball into the final third. He's maybe not the final pass guy, but we saw it here. It's a great run by Gordon. And this is the type of stuff that you see him do and you think, great, but now, I made this comment off air. He's running to his left, putting himself on his weak foot. Now, we've seen him score with his left so far this year. Um, first touch is pretty good, I think. Yeah. Um, is this just a bad finish or is this a good, also somewhat lucky save because Saw seemed to really guess and oversell Gordon's right side, Saw's left? What do you guys think? I, I thought it was, a. I don't know. On one hand, like you said, Saw's good. He makes a good play here. But at the same time, it's it, you just you need to put that one in the back of the net by any means necessary. Whether you get a little under it, put it a little more to the side so the keeper can't reach it. It's good goalkeeping all around, but I still think Gordon should have and could have done much better there. Um, yeah, it's both. It's both, Just right? placement. It's both, and that's the second big opportunity in which you need Gordon to do better in some sense. It's hard to argue, though, Alex, your point. This is about quality, though. If you're trading chances with the team, and I think that right there, look, there's a chance at the end. We'll get to that in a second. But otherwise, throughout open play up to that point, that's the biggest chance of the game by a mile. And to me, I mean, that's that's it. I mean, it's not like Wolves had really anything. You know, Diego Costa had a chance kind of like right before this was just kind of the header, right? Which, oh my God, terrible marking. My God, this guy's molasses and big and how do you... Anyway, um, and this is it. I mean, this is the, like, we're not going to create a lot of chances with this side as currently constructed. I think we agree with that. I think with this lineup, it should be sound defensively, but we're not. And this is one and you see it and you're just like, I struggle with this a little bit too because I want to give Anthony Gordon credit for the hustle and the run and the intelligence to get there. It's hard to then hold him against, you know, the finish, but you need both, right? I mean, you need both to score in the Premier League, and 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 we didn't do it. And um, yeah, this one's hard. Uh, you know, the moped had a decent shot in the forty-first too, where he hit right at the keeper, but it's on his left foot, and you know, I just that was it. But I, I really felt like going into halftime. I mean, I don't know. I thought, you know, I thought we had the momentum, and the numbers kind of s- spell that out too. Yeah, it was interesting looking at kind of the breakdown. Obviously, we were using who scored numbers and 
Before Poden scored, they had us at 53-47, still winning the possession battle. We obviously had the one shot that we scored on from Yuri Mina. Nine to four in tackles, four to five in dispossessions, and then 81 to 80 pass accuracy. So relatively level. Um, But then after the goal, I think until halftime, we responded fairly well. We started to dominate the ball, 65-35 possession in favor of Everton. Three to two in shots. We had all three of those shots on target. We just talked about them. 4-0 in dribbles. Uh, one to eight in tackles. They out-tackled us because we had the ball the whole time. And 89-77 pass accuracy. So we were able to respond. We were able to start to try to dictate. And the frustrating thing is that, of course, we weren't able to then take the lead again. We go in level after playing that well and uh, you know, relatively well. And I think, I mean, at halftime, I felt okay. Like, okay, we can, I know we haven't done very well this season coming out for second halves, but Maybe this is a new Everton. I'm still convincing myself. I'm deluding myself into this. Maybe we've changed. Maybe we'll get a response. Frank will give the halftime team talk of the century. We'll come out. We'll smash them. Um, didn't exactly work out that way, guys. Yeah, I mean, you you had that feeling, though, because of the fact that, you know, we had more chances or we had more, let's say, um, positive attacking play in the first half that we have in a lot of games uh, in recent times. So that was I think that was a fair feeling. And I felt the same way. I mean, it was. It was definitely annoying to see, you know, the one-one at halftime. But at the same time, though, it, it definitely felt like we responded well. Um, and the second half, you know, everything was there to grab. It was, but how many times have we come out of the second half of halftime? And I think this is still a very important measure of a, of a coach in any sport. Really, what how what adjustments do they make during a break, especially in football, when you just don't have, you know, it's not like you can make some changes on the fly some usually on subs and things like that but i mean you can't make wholesale structural changes it's unbelievable how often we do some things well in the first half and there there doesn't seem to be much of a tweak and this just in you're facing a manager that's pretty good um and so i'm not gonna say that we came out and we're awful or anything I, i i don't think that's necessarily true um but they did seem to come out and I would say it was more of an even match in the second half and anything. They started to gather momentum partially by the subs and the quality of the bench. I mean, that's hard to argue, right? Um, that being said, there was a big chance early, you know, it's very odd. A was clearly offside on the, uh, on the set piece. And yet still some of these places that have their XG numbers include that chance in it, which I just laugh at, you know, that's why people need to pay a little bit more attention. Um, but I wouldn't say we necessarily came out, terribly in the second half necessarily but they did seem to be a little more inspired and i mean if i'm wolves i'm thinking i'm pretty happy at halftime so i'm thinking we're pretty fortunate don't you agree yeah definitely i mean again you talk about the chances we had they're feeling pretty lucky they're like all right well we're still all level this is a huge chance for us to get three points on the road let's go out and get it and then the 55th minute you know the first 10 minutes weren't weren't super eventful had those kind of feeling each other out and we were still very much dominating the ball for the most part but in the 55th bueno gets a, a low shot from them switching fields pickford makes it you know he makes the save on the ground he parries it out and then anthony gordon ends up having to clear it wide it wasn't anything super noteworthy um but then wolves got very very physical and i think they had 10 fouls in the first half and 12 in the second but this is the the 63rd is the killman foul on ghana with the high boot kind of stopping a break um, it was a yellow. I don't know if either of you feel differently if that, I mean, it's certainly dangerous and risky. I don't know if he actually makes contact with his head. They didn't really reshow it on the broadcast. I was livid cause Ghana goes down and he looks, you know, it's scary to see that. Um, but they got like six yellows in like 40 minutes. It was just a ton of fouls and very chippy and some dirty play. And I guess they were kind of willing to get down in the mud with us, but it kind of, I don't know, is they play physically and, that was a nasty foul by Kilman for sure. Is that a red? I don't I don't think for me it's a red. Um if he makes more contact, it's the high boot, right, which is obviously a controversial in the modern game, but for me it's not a red. Well, I'll only say this. Um it's not violent conduct because he's not trying to necessarily hurt him, but I mean, his head's up. He clearly sees a player coming. I mean, he'd have to be blind as a bat to not see that. I mean, is that not serious foul play? He doesn't I mean, get the ball ta- at all. I mean, a tackle that or challenge that endangers the safety of an opponent or you or uses excessive force or brutality must be sanctioned as serious foul play. I mean, I just mean that's you could say it's not excessive force because that's what he's used to doing. But 
is it not? I mean, the ball's in the air. His foot is all the way above his own shoulder. It's it almost clears Ghana's head, and that's not a short joke. Um, certainly it endangered the safety and it kicked him right in the face. So I, I guess I'd ask this question. If we assume no one is out there trying to, you know, pull some sort of martial arts back heel spinning kick to someone's face. So every incident doesn't equal that because you don't see that very often, except for when Manchester United legends jump into the crowd. Um, so what, what is a red card? Like, can you kick someone in the face and have it be a red card then? In all seriousness, I mean, what, what would be a red card? Because I saw, remember when Edgerson got his face basically taken off by, by Mane, he was going for the ball there. That wasn't reckless. Uh, granted, Liverpool well, never I think the, the, the opposite side of that, and not, not to derail things too much, Ryan, but is like, okay, do you just do away with any kicks above the head? Well, I think when someone studs hits a player in the face and he can see the player coming, yeah, I would say that's something you probably want to get out of the game. If that's not serious foul play, I guess I just put it this way. And then what is? So then, I mean, because otherwise I don't see any scenario then outside of that one that would be a red. If you kick someone in the face and it's never a red. I mean, seriously. I mean, what In what instance could there ever be where you kick someone in the face then and there's a red if that's not a red? I, I just, I've seen it given as a red. For sure. I don't know. I mean, it's very, it's very fine margins, but I think, the, you know, to what degree you're close to playing the ball. If he's He is playing the ball. I don't know. I watched it a few times. I didn't maybe watch it enough. He kicked him right in the face. Dead. I mean, I just don't. Do you get my point, though? My point I is, do, I do. then what is a red card? Then is ever kicking someone in the face a red card? Well, it's like the NFL. What's a catch? No one really knows. It depends well, on the individual play. That is true. That is true. I, Alex, what do you think? Not a red card? I mean, I think it could have been either one. Um. Go to the monitor, at least, by the way. And, you know, and there, don't yeah, explain this to me. Why does that. he not go to the monitor ever? It's his call. Does he not want better information? There's no way he got a perfect view of exactly what happened in real time. I think, I it's, think, you, yeah, I think I'd have a hard time believing that if it was given as a red, there would be huge uproar. You know, I, great I, point. I, I like I genuinely think that it could go either way, clearly, because it did. Um, but I think a majority of people would probably say that that was a fair that would be a fair call. Um, it would have worked out in our favor, but obviously we did not deserve it. Now, did we? Or do we ever? I, I, don't, I don't know if it would have worked out in our favor anyway, <laughs> knowing how things were. But look, I mean, we I, I can't say we had a ton of momentum at this point, but um, certainly we had some chances. We had some possession. A lot of the fouls, though, James, they put us in some dangerous spots. We just weren't that dangerous on free kicks. Um, Damari Gray entering the match maybe did give us a little bit more of a threat and certainly what we had on the left side, but ultimately Mina's injury, I think is the one. And it, and I will say this, it didn't look like it was, it might've just been a cramp. He didn't yeah. look too upset by it. I'm not so sure he was supposed to go 90 anyway. So that's something to consider. Um, I think it hurt us. Obviously Damari Gray comes pretty close on this free kick though. I mean, he's just the, the bottom line is I understand not playing him. I get it to a certain extent, but he's at a different level of quality. I think on the ball, at least than the other guys. Well, we watched him take that free kick, I think, not too far after Gordon takes one that's just, you know, it wasn't rosy, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't, you know, competitive in any sense. From a great word, spot, right? too. Right. You know what I'm saying? It, it's that was that was the night and day comparison after he comes off the bench, which is, again, why we why we keep debating, you know, which of the three wingers really should or should not be playing. But that's, you know, conversation. Yeah, it was good. It was a good hit by Damari for sure. And as you said, Alex, off the back of the um the Gordon miss. And, and, you know, we kind of skipped over the fact that obviously Damari Gray had come on for Dwight McNeil and then Wolves had made a, a number of substitutions. They got Nunez on, they got eight Nori on, and then they bring Torre on. And I do think that contributed to how things went down the stretch. Um, but other than those kind of free kick chances, there was the, the one in the 83rd that will, I think, loom oh. large in the memory for most blues. I think, I think other than the Mikalenko left-footed volley from a Wobie that he could have done better. And we've seen Miko actually can make that shot. You know, he actually shows some talent in that. This one in the 83rd, God, this one stinks. I mean, the thing is, all Onana has to do is get his head on this. And he doesn't, which, we, I mean, Alex and I have talked about this a bunch, right? I mean, he's tall and athletic. He shows some courage here. He's not great in the air. He's just not. I mean, it's not his bread and butter. And um, Gordon, oh, God, geez. You know, this is another one where I think it's on his left, maybe, but Geez, you would have liked to see him just take that one and try and crack a top bins. You know, I, I, I'd like to see that one again a couple of times. I, I've watched it a few times and I, I'm not sure how you guys think, but God, I feel like he could have given this one a, a better go. I think Godfrey's little poke. I mean, I don't expect him to really necessarily 
do anything with that one. But th- this was, I thought this was the moment. Yeah. I mean, if, you know, it, it kind of feels like if that one doesn't come off right, then it never is going to. And, and obviously we'll, uh, we'll get into pretty much just scrappy for the next 10 minutes. And then the crowd gets a little, uh, uneasy in the 90th plus four. And Ryan, I think I'll let you, uh, dive into how that went down. Oh, I don't know if I even want to discuss this. I mean, <laughs> I, so, so I posted something and a couple other people posted similar stuff. I posted it right after it happened for anyone arguing. My line is this fans screaming for the center back to pass it forward. Wolves just dying for Everton to do exactly that. And they score off the counter classic. So look, I don't really want to see, I, I don't think either of our center backs, Tarkowski and Godfrey are great ball playing center center halves. So that's number one, not the Tark's terrible at it, but my only issue with this is that's fine. If you want think the direct play is the one to make in this situation, which it might be the only one to make because they are totally packed in here. Right. Fine. Don't do it when both your fullbacks are pressed up high and your midfielders are up high as well. So here's the problem with this. So the ball goes wide. It's a good ball from Tark. It is. And, and Tark, Tark's long passing, I think, was pretty good today, too. I mean, for the most part, he, his distribution is not bad. You know, it's really not bad. Um, Goes right to Patterson. Patterson hits a header. I don't know what he's doing here. I think he hits it at Gordon. Gordon was rushing forward, so he plays it behind him. Gordon kind of hits it with his back heel. Dukes can get to it here. I, maybe DeCorey needs to go in hard and just prevent any sort of counter, but he can't see what's behind him. I mean, it's not, I mean, what does he thinks behind him? I hope he thinks there's a six behind him, a couple center halves. And I hope the left back isn't pushed all the way up because why the heck would he be when the ball goes to the right, which he was. Um, and, you know, I mean, it, it, what happens is exactly what you thought would happen. Wolves break immediately, snap. They look for Treyar. Treyar is exactly what he's on here to do. And, and you already saw earlier where he ran at Mikalinko and Mikalinko had absolutely no prayer of doing anything to stop him whatsoever other than fouling him because he can't stop him because he's not quick. He's borderline slow for, for a wide player in the Premier League. And what happened is what happened. You saw an overcommitting of both defenders there. Cross gets all the way through, and it's a tap-in. Now you can look and deconstruct certain people not hustling back. But, I mean, they did what we what they wanted us to do. I mean, and so so my line was, and people said, oh, blame it on the fans. I wasn't blaming it on the fans. I wasn't blaming it on the fans. But I'm going to say this, and I've said it before on the pod, this whole screaming of players to turn and play it forward every time, and this concept that, like, Two passes between center halves. And yes, I agree. It was a little bit excessive. I get that. I agree. But the screaming to fire it forward does no one any good. And it's dumb, frankly. It's not a smart way to view the game. Sometimes that's fine. And in this instance, the one thing you cannot do. We all know we need to strengthen in January. We are not. We're getting relegated if we don't strengthen in January. I can tell you that right freaking now. There's no question. Just watching the quality of our wingers. So the point is... This is one of the teams you're competing with. They're at the bottom of the table. You cannot give them three points and take none. Look, I'm not saying just sit on it, but my, you've got to be careful here. Now, this is on Patterson as much as anyone. Like, play it forward to Gordon. Like, don't you, I mean, I don't, I mean, maybe, that's a hard thing to ask someone to do, you know, take a 40-yard ball. But, but look, the whole team collectively, to me, the way I looked at it, and some people made this observation, they look like they kind of panicked. And, and they seem yeah. like they were affected by the crowd. And you've been at Goodison. I've, we've all heard the same thing. I hear it. They yell at players when they play the ball back. That's not the wrong thing to do in many instances. And I get the sense of urgency here. But the game is, you have to accept the game for what it is in that circumstance. I know everyone's like, well, this is awful. We can't possibly not beat the worst team in the league at home. I, I know that. But what you cannot do is give up the goal and lose and take no points. Because I will say this, every point is going to matter. Every totally. point is going to matter. So that one point and the three that they got instead of the one they got could make the difference in the long run. I mean, that's a that's a what four point swing, three point swing. Def- definitely agree. I mean, and yeah, people will be like, oh, wow. Blaming the fans, blaming the fans. No one's no one's blaming the fans, but it's just I mean, the players have said any player who plays in front of a large crowd will say, OK, you know, when the crowd is acting a certain way, it makes the players nervous or antsy when the crowd is on your back all the time. When you're passing it around the back and there's one minute to go in the game and it doesn't seem like we have much of an intent to go forward and score, I understand the frustration there. But, Ryan, I think you you said it pretty well. Two teams near the bottom of the table are just going to be looking for that one chance to break and catch the other team out. And Wolves were well set in their defensive shape, waiting for us to do something exactly like we did. 
the long ball, giving them any kind of 50-50 chance to pounce on it and go the other direction. And DeCorey's overcommitment to try to win the tackle doesn't help anyone, but they're kind of away on the break, and they've got the pace. They've got fresh legs going against our defense. I mean, Traore on Tarkowski in the box was comical. Like, there's no, he's not closing him down. There's nothing he's going to do. And then, the you know, he crosses it, and they've got guys, numbers forward, guys in the box, and it's a tap-in. And it's a terrible way to lose in terrible circumstances. And obviously, in hindsight, it's like, yeah, well, we should have just, you know, t- taken the air out of the ball and taken the point and been happy with it. But you would hope that maybe we'd see it. On the other hand, when the, the center halves are passing it back and forth, the other forward players didn't were, were very stagnant and didn't seem to be giving them very many options. And for me, that's the bigger concern is, all right, well, they don't have any options. So what else are they supposed to do? Well, we resort to the hoofball and it kills us. Well, well, here's the question. So, okay, so no one was moving. They had no options. Is that a structural issue? Is that a Frank issue? Is that the individual quality issue? I, I don't I mean, I think those are fair comments. And I mean, whose fault is it? Any and all, right? I mean, any and all. It's a, it's always more complicated than that, I think. I mean, you you know, you can stick to your general position if if you're suggesting that Frank or maybe the system says you need to be here at this moment in time, but you can also show for the ball. Um, you can also recognize the different situations that you have to flex. True. And, <clears throat> you know, especially late in the match. But, you know, all of that is to say it obviously ends heartbreakingly 2-1. The stats were actually, you know, the overall stats of the match ended up being, I think, more pleasant than we're used to seeing this season, right? Uh, 12 to 7 in shots, 59% possession. Yeah, it does. It actually, it does. Um, 59% possession to Everton, uh, 503 passes to their 350, 84% pass accuracy, less than half the fouls. Um, with that, why don't we talk about performances and I'll throw it over to James first for your first or for your, uh, a good performance of the day. It's so funny how the last minute goal just changes the whole perception of the 90 because we were okay and then we lose. And so it's really, I honestly had a hard time picking anyone that was particularly good, but I did go with Onana today. He was four for four in tackles and 94% pass accuracy, which I think was second or third, um, on the team and the best among the midfield. Still don't really like him getting forward so often, but the way that he started, and it seems like Frank maybe is transitioning him out of that very forward role. Um, And I didn't really think the midfield was much of the problem today. We'll talk about the bads. I, I liked his performance. He had some really crucial tackles, showed good range of motion, mobility, et cetera. Um, he's in my good column today. Yeah, it's a good shout. I had to, I had to go with Yerry Mina. Obviously, scored a goal today, um, handled Costa physically pretty well in general. He was calm on the ball, although I found it interesting. He was tied with Mikalenko on defense for the least passes at 53, so maybe not as influential. I mean, he did come off in the 75th minute, right? So he got less minutes, um, but maybe less influential in the past than others. Uh, I always feel better when Yeri is on the pitch. In general, um, leadership skills, obviously his positioning, calmness on the ball is mentioned. Um, as we saw, as, as we said with the stiff arm and the uh, the finish, that is what he offers, and it was a solid outing today. Hopefully, as Ryan mentioned, it's only tightness, and he will be ready to go for the next match. I went with Ghana. Um, after those two, I mean, who do you go with here? I mean, there were a lot of guys that were fine. You know, um, some of them are limited by position, but I think if you look at Ghana's role today, I mean, two tackles, two interceptions, and one interception that great inside pass to Gordon. He was fouled six times and that was important because I mean, really it set up some, some set pieces for us, but it also helped us control the ball a little bit. Three for four and long balls. Um, again, remember he can't pass forward. So silly. Um, he's good. You know, look, I mean, it's very obvious to me when certain guys get on the ball, they're at a different level of some other players. And he's one of those guys. Uh, now that being said, I'll kick off with our bads. I have seen some performances um, that have been less than good, and I hate to pick on guys, but I I cannot. Nathan Patterson, to me, played one of the worst matches I've seen an individual play in a long time, and some of it's not captured on the stat sheet. Um, His off-the-ball movement was just hesitant, strange runs right next to people at times, not in the space, just a lack of recognition. If you didn't know better, you would have thought he was at this World Cup the whole time, and his team was in the finals, and he just got back, and they threw him in the lineup. Um, Zero tackles. Zero interceptions, which would be one thing if he wasn't playing very aggressive, but he had three fouls and a yellow. So um, I guess you could say, well, then maybe he got forward a lot. Well, no key passes, Uh, lots of touches, three turnovers, zero for six in crosses, one for four in long balls. 
The set piece defending was awful. Uh, giveaway on the second goal was also awful. He didn't even immediately bust his tail back. I know he's tired, I guess. I just, um, he, he had one, you know, I think we have a serious problem at right back. I thought it coming into the season too. Um, and I, not to, not to pile on here, but when we go back and look at the January window and I had another tweet about letting non-football people make football decisions and that window is absolutely criminal. And you look at it, there's no director of football there. No one there, really, that made decisions. I mean, we spend over 30 million pounds on two fullbacks. And Nathan Patterson maybe still has a bright future, but he is, I mean, he is below Premier League average for sure. Is Mikalingo above Premier League average? I don't think so either. I mean, I just think that is, that right there, if you look at the root of our problems, especially today, Mikalingo had one great cross, but like, they're just not, I mean, that's, that's a lot of it. I mean, the wings are a lot of it too, but the fullbacks are not helping. And, and here's the interesting thing, right? If you look at the ball progression, right? Pass and carry for this match. <clears throat> the progression via pass is overwhelmingly Tarkovsky, Mikalenko, and Patterson. When I say overwhelmingly, I mean by a very, very, very large margin, right? And to your point, relying on Patterson and Mikalenko to progress the ball on the outside is clearly not going to be ideal based on what we saw. Combined, zero for eight crosses, zero key passes combined between the two of them. So, you know, they had, I think, combined 20% of the overall passes of the team. So you're in trouble when you have wingers that are not, are not of PL quality. You have fullbacks that are not of PL quality and, and you're building out the midfield that maybe doesn't have the support around them to be successful. I expect the center halves to have, you know, the the bigger quality, um, ca- the bigger carry numbers just by by the fact that they're sitting deeper. But I think your point is right, though, Alex, is because Mika Lincoln and Patterson are also somewhat sitting deeper. And um, if you're going to get forward like Patterson has been, you have to produce more. You have to at least Mika Linko, You can point to at times he does take care of the ball. He he is defensively sound. He's a little bit limited, like he's going to struggle against Adama Traore, which I think speaks to his ceiling as a player, which is why his fee is so outrageous on so many levels. I mean, Brighton have bought two guys that are. Anyway, no, I'm sorry. I'm being derailed here, but I think your point is correct. You can't be reliant on those guys to necessarily be the only people that are doing that. And um, yeah, it's not pretty. Yeah. Speaking of not pretty and being over overly reliant on certain guys, uh, we'll go with my, my bad, which it just, I take no pleasure in this, all of you listeners out there, but I did go with Anthony Gordon again. Um, defensively, he was actually very, very good. And Ryan gave him credit earlier. He was six for eight in tackles. He had two interceptions, but the caveat is he had six touches in the penalty area today. The rest of the team had eight combined. Uh, Three of those were Tarkowski and obviously Yeremina with the goal with the one. McNeil had zero. Gray had zero. Mopai had zero touches in the penalty area. Anthony Gordon, 0 for 6 in dribbles, dispossessed two times, no key passes. So it's not even so much that he is like a, a bad player, but we're very reliant on him. If he's getting of all of our forward players, the only one getting any touches in the penalty area and has nothing to show for it. And in the squad assessment, we highlighted this isn't just a one-off. This is like all season him and gray are getting in the penalty area and basically doing nothing. That is a major, major concern. And the finishing just isn't consistent enough credit to him for, for getting into those areas. But if there's no end product to show for it, we need to be find ways to get other guys more involved like Dwight McNeil. And He's why not very good. Like I yeah. mean, I, I, we've been saying it now on the pod for two years now. I remember how mad people got at us for suggesting he should have been out on loan when Rafa came in. Now, Rafa. Now, notice we had that hot start under Rafa where he wasn't playing at all. He came in and Rafa kept putting in and kept putting in in bad situations, too, in my opinion, even though I think he's a better fit for that kind of tactical approach. Um, and I mean, you look at it and you're, you're right. You're so reliant on that guy. But again, when you let non-football people make football decisions, what happened this summer? People like, oh, well, that offer really never manifested himself. What offer? No one, no one was going to offer 50 million pounds for Anthony Gordon. The fact that anyone even thought that was a legitimate possibility, everyone's gotten way too carried away. But we were offered a big chunk of money for him. And I can tell you right now, no offense to him. Um, and it's not his fault. I mean, he's being pushed and playing minutes that he has no legitimate reason to be pushed in and playing. It's not his fault. And I appreciate his efforts out there. Really, I do. I do, too. He's not, he's not good enough. I mean, he's just not good enough. He's not not an, even an average, really, Premier League wide player. It's as simple as that. Although I'd play him out to the left. I wouldn't play him on the right. So I, I don't. 
I don't know what you say, man. And and we would be better off as a team, frankly, had we sold him and bought two players. That's it. That's how it is. But again, you had people up top that were making decisions that weren't the football people. And they, they were sentimental and didn't want to lose him. And we've seen that time and time. How many guys do we have on this team that have been here for way too long that are on big 100%. wages that were bid, given big deals, not by football people? Yeah, you know who I'm talking about. Anyway, move on. Alex, over to you. You're bad. So my bad, I mean, it's hard to say he was bad, but I, I have to use him to make a point, and that's Mopay, right? He had two scenarios in the first half, which I thought, I personally thought he could have done much better with. He only had 34 touches all game, none in the penalty area, as James mentioned, right? So it's not like he's being fed a ton of service, and, and that's completely fair to say. But the point is, if you're going to play as much as you are because Dominic Calvert-Lewin hasn't stayed healthy in, in, in God knows how long, right? You're not getting service then it becomes even more important that you take chances when you get them, take opportunities, connect with your teammates, take better shots than you did in uh, the match today. So I've got to say, as as the lone striker up there with our wingers, who are definitely our weak point in the team, um, we need more from Neil. And I hope that, uh, you know, because I firmly believe that he can offer it. It's just uh, it hasn't come out for him yet. And we uh, surely need it. Well, it's like uh, the thing with Mopai is everyone's like, I can't believe this guy is this bad. It's like, well, he's not. He's really not bad. He's not maybe playing very well, but he's hardly getting any chances. But the guy's track record, it's not like he had one one-off season and then came to us. This guy's the real deal. He's a proven goal scorer in the Premier League and obviously was like the best striker in the championship his last year with Brentford. So what's That's not player. Really, what's, That's- he's not really like clicking at Everton and it's he's not getting the service and he's not being used. But to your point, Alex, you're right. He had the chances today. He should have taken them better, um, and I, I hope he can turn it around because doesn't I, I just don't have a ton of faith in Dominic Calvert-Lewin getting fit for any long stretch of the season, though I still really hope that that happens. Yeah, may, maybe a good way to put it is he was my bad because I have higher expectations of him. Let me put it that way. Well, that's fair. I mean, and granted, we didn't pay a lot of money for him, too. I think that's a lot of things that people are all over him about. Um, and, and I didn't think he was sharp in the final third, you know? I mean, some of his hold-up play was okay. There are a couple of times he also got the ball and got sworn with like three or four people. So, I mean, there's not much. I mean, they, they were dying for us to play the ball into him, by the way, in case you didn't notice. I mean, it's so obvious. I mean, the second he had the ball, like above the 18, swarmed. I mean, there, there's no way he could have done anything with it there other than draw a foul or two. And he did do that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's he has a tough job. But I agree with you, Alex. I mean, he could have been. He did not show a lot of sharpness in the final third, but this suggestion that a guy like Ellis Sims is going to do better. I mean, go look at the mopeds numbers in the championship. Just go look at them. They're absolutely ludicrous. Outrageous. I They're did it out- today. I did oh, it today. Cause I saw people saying, you know, he's got the first touch of a donkey and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, okay, well he's scored 25 goals and nine assists for Brentford at the championship. <laughs> it's just absolutely outrageous. Right. It was just totally, totally illogical. That being said, it was good to see Ellis Sims have a nice goal today, but I mean, Ellis is not, People think he's also it's just so funny to me the, the way what people think about players when they clearly haven't watched them a whole lot. But um, but still, we're not scoring. Um, would getting better wide players with some better control, and better service help the moped? Would he start scoring? I don't know. I don't know. It's a good question. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, this setup, though, playing true wingers, um, guys with their stronger foot out wide, almost forcing them into crossing situations. Is that the best way to play to Neil Mopé's strengths, though? Probably not. Probably not. So before we wrap it up, we've got a couple of uh, listener, a couple more listener reactions. And I'll start with at Nebula1979. Desperation for a win ended up causing a loss. Wolves happy for a point, but throwing bodies forward and forcing it. This is what happens. Regardless, a decent Everton attack scores four at least. Lost count of mistakes from Wolves. <coughs> Frank Lampard is definitely under pressure. January 1st signings needed. Toothless attack. I thought that was a pretty good summation of pretty much all we just said as well. And then we had PDX Toffee with an at that is the exact same. He said, I thought we were the better side for the majority of the game. Lack of depth is evident seeing the difference in quality of subs. Positive point has to be the great chances we created but failed to finish. Brutal, brutal way to drop crucial points. I think that's also very accurate. Like, if this game ends 1-1, yeah, we're probably frustrated that we couldn't get the breakthrough goal, but... We're know, talking about you, our possession and our shots, James. That That's what that alternate scenario looks like. 100%. 100%. Well, be right. Um, it's not the worst-case scenario to take the draw there. I mean, and look, we got kind of hard done. I mean, it's a little bit bad luck, but I do, I do think Neb got it. Desperation. That's what you saw at the end, and I think we panicked a little bit and fell apart. 
And that's where, you know, you lose in dramatic fashion and it brings out the most dramatic reactions. Um, though we were accused by someone on Twitter of being dramatic, but you know, definitely a lot of people I saw saying, all right, this is the last straw I have with Lampard. He needs to go. His time is up. So I guess that's, you know, we is talked about it a lot before the break. Um, I'm kind of, I, I want to know, know what you guys think about it. I mean, just, well, I we don't blame about, the numbers look bad in the assessment and we talked about changes and things he could have done. I mean, he bears some responsibility for those numbers, does he not? And, and today was a better performance in some regards, but boy, you know, I mean, it just seemed like we lacked a little character there at the end. Is that on him? I don't know. I'm, I want to know what you guys think. I mean, would you make a move now? Would you, would you get rid of Lampard? The only thing, the only thing I can't take, and this is not an exact scenario, but the only thing I can't take is letting him sign a bunch of players or, you know, looking back at Lucas Dean walking out the door and then firing Benitez three days later. Um, oh, yeah. I think that we're in a predicament. I, I think our position in the table, our performances, the way that our players are performing, you know, uh, questionable decisions and tactics and setups like we're talking about. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if a change could come. I, I don't think it's going to come, but it wouldn't be the end of the world, I don't think. The timing would be interesting. Um, you know, we, we also talked about Thelwell didn't choose Frank Lampard. So uh, all to say, I would hope that no matter what, the director of football is making, you know, major decisions this market. Yeah. Uh, so my mind is at a place where first and foremost, I don't, Frank is culpable for how bad the squad has been as a whole this season. I don't think he's at fault for the loss today. Because I don't think it's his fault that we hoofed it long and conceded, you know, lost possession and gave up a goal on the counter. I, I do think, you know, Ryan, to your earlier question, you know, who's at fault for when the players are kind of just standing there and it's very stagnant? I mean, what's Frank supposed to go drag them around and make them move? I think the players have to, you know, move their bodies and make themselves available for the ball. But we're at one win and nine at this point. So... Frank's got a, and you know, we're, we're talking about how bad our start to the season was. And Frank was saying, well, I'll turn it around. And we're now 10 games later and things are just as bad, if not worse. So unfortunately, I think the time to fire him would have, has now passed because, or has it not yet arrived? I don't know, folks, but like you, you just came off, you gave the guy six weeks to work with this squad. You're about to give him the January transfer window. It, the timing is all over the place. If we don't pull trigger before the window opens, then you're kind of stuck with him until it gets so, so bad that, and that's, there's never a good time to fire, but the best time has already passed. So you're looking at increasingly less ideal scenarios the further along we get. I mean, I mean, you can um, you complain let about a, a bad signings. squad. You can complain about a bad squad all you want. So then the question becomes, what are you doing with the current squad that you have? The only mark, in my opinion, the only good mark from him is the fact that he had a Wobi firing on all cylinders to start the season. Last season, he obviously got quite a bit out of them compared to what we got in the last X amount of years. And currently, I don't see it. I'm not saying a Wobi's playing bad, but that, that's my point, right? What That was that one good mark. Nobody else is playing, in my opinion, at or above their potential at all. I mean, Ghana is playing good in the roles that he's asked to play. I mean, Onano, you know, I, I don't know that we expect much more from him, but the point is he's not mang- making any of the other players better, in my opinion. He's not setting them, them up to succeed. So um, you either get a better squad, which takes a lot of time, especially in our uh, financial predicament, or you do better with the players that you have, and he's not. So that's where we're well, at. Well, metrics are no better than they've been any other time, too. I think that's that's what people don't realize, other than assists, which we know is the dumbest stat known to man. Um, but but what? Uh, well, so look, the, look, I'll say this, you know, you talk about it. First of all, I hate the idea that coaches improved a player. It's the dumbest thing ever. And then improve them. I mean, to improve a player is a long, dedicated development period. And that takes a, a village to do. It's not just one guy. And in this Getting particular instance, performances out of a player, though, like if you well, he get... was. And what happened to him? So I, I guess I mean, I think it's fair to question some of the decisions he's made. I don't like. look, I, I thought we acquired McNeil to play him on the right. So what are we doing now? Like, I, I don't get it. To me, there's a disconnect, um, at least to some level. I mean, I, I, I guess I'll say this. If I thought for a second that it would be, okay, Kevin, we're going to fire Frank. Your choice. You bring in the head coach. If I thought for a second that would happen, I, I, I think it might be, I, I think it's totally reasonable. I don't think today was a referendum on Frank, though. I, I think if everything, I did see some evidence that there was some work on the training pitch today. I did see that. Um but there's a lot of reasons to fire him. I mean, it's hard to argue with that. And look, it's not his fault, though, some of these guys. I mean, the other thing is, can you hold the manager accountable for recruitment? That's part of the problem here. 
Like yeah, we're true. like, well, he needs to be able to bring in his own guys. What does that mean? A manager should not be doing that. Managers should understand what his needs are. The recruitment folks need to find them. That being said, loans are different, right? I mean, a manager alone is a short-term thing for the most part. So that's got to be up to him. Um, I mean, I don't think we have such a defined style that if we got someone else, we'd be totally in trouble. You know what I mean? It's like one thing if you play a very defined system that you need particular players for. I mean, stranger things have happened. It's hard to look at the body work and not say, eh, maybe this guy should go. Our system is sucking and losing games, which is not a good system to have. We've got that down. We've got that down, unfortunately. But anyway, I mean, look, the bottom line is I think it's hard. My concern is that we can't spend in the window. And to me, that's the biggest. That is that is the behavior in the window in the market is the referendum on the ownership group and the executives. Because if you've gotten to the point where I thought we solved our financial fair play issues, thought we did. So if we haven't, and now the only reason why we can't spend is because you got to pay for a stadium because you can't get funding and you can't get financing. Who's that on? But still, we are still many ways. The level we're at and the talent we're at is the fault of individuals that are still at the club that are still there. And I don't understand that at all, because until that changes, until they can meddle in affairs, this is what you get. Any final thoughts? And on that note, gentlemen, we shall adjourn for this episode of the American Toffee Podcast. Thank you all very much for listening, trudging through this. Hope you all had a very Merry Christmas as well and a Happy New Year. We will be with you following Good Boy Man City next. That's going to be a fun one. Um, We will be with you probably following that match. We'll see how it goes. Just kidding. We'll be with you. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and review on your podcast platform of choice. Please uh, follow us on social media. Join our Discord, invite.gg slash ATP. I am off to uh, have nightmares about us playing Manchester City. Until next time, up the toffees. <laughs>